0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. Thank you guys for coming. My name is Eric Cobb, one of the pastors here, and um, we're going to be talking this morning about uh, work. We're in a series called Renovate, and the series is really about how God renovates all of our relationships. And so we're really excited to dig into this portion, but let me pray again and we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for all the volunteers. We think of the people that are in children's ministry right now, uh, taking care of the kids and teaching them your word. And thank you for the people that set up here and brought the trailer and did all that kind of work, Lord. We thank you for the worship team. And yet we know, Lord, that as we put all these things out, that if you don't come and you don't do something here supernaturally, It's all for nothing, Lord. We don't need to hear the thoughts and opinions of human beings. We don't just need the service of people, Lord. We need you. And so we pray that you would come, that your spirit would fill this room, that you would speak to each person here, Lord. I have no fantasy of thinking that I know everything that I need to say to the people that are here. Lord, you know their hearts. You know how to speak to them. And so we pray you do that in this time of worship, in the time in the word, in our time of fellowship and communion. And we thank you, Lord, that you have been so faithful to do it again and again. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series called Renovate. And uh, you guys probably want to turn to Genesis 1. And um, if, if it's one of those Bibles it's on page... No, I'm just kidding. We don't need to do that. Um, it's Genesis 1. It's the very beginning of the Bible. And um, we are in a series called Renovate. And the series is called Renovate because God wants to renovate all of our relationships. And you might wonder, like, why do a message on work in a series on relationships? And the reason is, is because we will spend more time working, most of us will spend more time in our workplace than any other place. Maybe that's depressing to you. Um, but, you know, maybe sleep competes with that, but maybe not. I mean, we spend more time working than any other place, and it's, a, and it's a place that's rich in relationships, and those relationships are things that God wants to renovate. A lot of times we think about our workplace and we just think we need to endure this, but God's got something good for us to do in our workplaces, and so this morning, we're going to look into that. We're just going to do an overview. When I first started prepping for this, I thought, man, this should be a series on work. And we'll probably do that at some point. But right now, we'll just do one thing. We're going to look at how God created work as a good gift, how it's cursed, how God redeems it through Christ, and how it'll be completely restored. So that's kind of the flow of what we're going to do this morning. So we'll start in Genesis 1. And what we see in Genesis 1 as God's creating throughout Genesis 1 is he's, he's busily working with joy. It's so cool to see God creating in Genesis 1 because it's like a, an artist in an art studio. And he, and he says, let there be, and there was. And he goes, oh, that's good. And then he goes to the next thing and he says, let there be light. Let there be animals. Let there be land. Let there be animals. And he's so excited about everything that he's making. And he looks at it and it's all good. He's delighting in his work. And then God made human beings not just to enjoy his work, but to make their own things and enjoy that work. And so God's designed work for our enjoyment. Work, guys, is not a result of the fall. A lot of times we think work is a result of the fall into sin and that, you know, before the fall, before human beings turned from God, that we didn't have to work, we just kind of sat around. It's not true. God created work from the beginning as a good gift. Now, it is made difficult, and we'll get into that in a second, but God designed work for us to enjoy. He he designed us to function best when we have meaningful labor to do, whether that works at home or on a, like, a family farm or in a modern workplace. God's given us work as a gift, and this view of, of work is totally different than the Greek view of work popular during Jesus' time. The ancient Greeks believed work was a curse, okay? Aristotle taught that um, unemployment, by which he meant not having to work, was a primary qualification for a worthwhile life. Like, if you're going to have a worthwhile life, the one thing you got to get rid of is work, okay? And the ancient Greek thinkers said, well, if somebody really has to work, at least let it be intellectual work. Okay? They looked down on physical work and they saw physical work as beneath them. And uh, they would rather often choose unemployment than to do something that they were overqualified for. Sound like our day? We have a lot of kind of the Greek mindset of work. And um, and the biblical view is different. From the first pages of Genesis, we see God himself doing physical work. Just realize that. In chapter 2, it says in verse 8 Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man he formed. He forms man with his hands. He gets dirty in the dirt, makes mankind, plants them in this garden. It doesn't say that he said, let there be a garden. There was. It says he planted it. It's a term that's used for physical labor. So we see God in the very beginning as a gardener. Isn't that cool? A line of work that often some people would think is below them. And then what do we see him coming as in the New Testament? In the Old Testament, he's a gardener. In the New Testament, he's a carpenter. And that word for carpenter, someone said it's really actually a term for laborer. A lot of times we think he had one of these high end wood shops where he's making like museum quality furniture, you know? <laughs> probably not in Nazareth. You know, there probably wasn't the market for high end furniture there. He was a laborer, he was a carpenter. What a statement, guys, about the dignity of work especially physical labor. And we have a culture that's kind of snooty about that kind of thing. But God is not snooty and and doesn't want to get involved in manual labor. And you think about Jesus' life, he spent decades doing that. You know, you think, like, we might think if we spent decades working in a job that didn't really seem to go anywhere, that we're wasting our lives, right? But here's God himself in a carpenter's workshop you know, totally obscure, totally working for decades, and he doesn't think it's a waste. And I think you guys would all agree that Jesus was pretty overqualified for that particular job, right? You know, you've got God in the flesh here, totally overqualified for this. So in the beginning, we see God happily working away. And then he wants to share this joy in Genesis 1 and 2. He wants to share the joy of work with others. It's it's meant to be a gift. And you can see when he creates... Adam, that he gives him two types of work. He has him in chapter 2 work in the garden to tend it. And then you see a little bit later in verse uh, 19 that he has him name the animals. So he gives him both physical work and he gives him intellectual work. He's got the physical work of the garden. He's got the intellectual work of naming the animals. And we can see in Genesis 1.28 that the, the vision for our work is given there. It says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what he did is he gave them dominion. Well, This, this, this idea of giving him dominion and telling him to subdue it, some people have called the creation mandate. And it isn't that he would somehow exploit the creation but that human beings were called to create God-honoring culture by cultivating the world, okay? And so our job is not like a, like a security guard at an art museum with creation. No, 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 don't touch. Do, 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 do. Move away from that, right? That's not our job. But neither is it for us to kind of pave over the whole thing, Right? But we can see here a picture of what we're to do. He puts Adam in a garden. We're to cultivate it. We're not to to kind of put it off to where we can't touch it, but we're not to exploit it, destroy it, or vandalize it either. We're here to steward it. And in a garden, you know, you would tend it. You would make it more fruitful, right? You might put some pavers in it. You wouldn't pave the entire thing, right? That wouldn't be the purpose of a garden. But you don't leave it unattended either. You cultivate it for increased fruitfulness. You harvest it. That's what we were called to do with the world with the earth, is to develop societies and, um, and cultures that use the creation in sustainable ways to bless human beings and reflect God's goodness. Like, that's the creation mandate. Isn't that cool? I just think, what a cool thing that he gave us. But clearly there's something wrong, okay? There's a reason why most people love Friday a lot more than Sunday. You realize why? People like the anticipation of the weekend a lot more than Sunday and the dread of Monday. And there's a reason why. Because work has also been cursed. Take a look at Genesis 3. You look at Genesis 3, what you'll see is that um, Satan comes, he tempts those first human beings to rebel against God and sin against him. And um, as a result, as one of the consequences of our sin, look at verse 17. God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. From dust, For you are of dust, and to dust you will return. And so sin caused this alienation, this separation, not just from us and God, but from us and each other, and from us and the creation. And that alienation from the creation... Cause work to be difficult. And I think we can all testify that work is hard. Work has many frustrations and difficulties. Because of sin, because we've turned our back on the only person that can kind of hold our world together, things unravel, things fall apart. Our work falls apart, doesn't it? Let me ask you this Do you guys find it hard to love others and to work? You find those things totally hard? Those things are super difficult. Those two things are super difficult. This explains why. It was all created good. We turned our back on God through sin, and what happened was there was an unraveling. Let me ask you this. In your work, do you envision far more for your work than you can ever accomplish? You ever feel like that? Okay, it's Monday. I'm gonna do this, 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 this. And then what happens? We can do only a fraction of the things we envision, and that's because of this. It's because of the curse. And this is why, guys, that most home improvement shows are so fake, okay? You know, you see the chip or whatever, he puts his belt on, you know, he's like, we need a new door here, and he, you know, and then walks away. And then when I try it, it doesn't go like that, right? It isn't a a 30-minute deal, right, to remodel a kitchen. It isn't like just popping things in with his little nail gun, you know, and walking away super easy. No, because work has been made difficult. It's hard. Have you guys ever heard this saying before? Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You guys ever heard that one? How many of you guys believe that? <laughs> guys, that's straight-up heresy, okay? You don't want to believe that. That's straight-up heresy. That goes totally against what Genesis 3 says. It says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Work's going to be work, okay? You believe something like that. People say Confucius said it, but if you look it up, it wasn't said that Confucius said that until, like, the 80s, so he probably didn't say it in the 80s. And... Uh, <laughs> But um, that's a heresy, guys, and it's also the secret, really, to a very unstable, immature life, okay? Because if you go into a job and you go, like, I found the thing, I'm never going to work a day in my life, and then you get there and you start working, and what happens? Oh, my gosh, this is work. I didn't think this was going to be work, and so you quit it and you get another job and you go, wait a minute, this job's work too, and then you quit that one you go on and on trying to find that job that you'll never work a day in your life. It doesn't exist, Right? doesn't exist because of the fall. And you guys might be thinking, well, you know, you know, for you, it has to be different. You're a veterinarian. I'm a horse vet. So that's what I do for a living. You might think, oh, well, that's something that you would know, be a great job. It's got to be your dream job. I have people say, like, don't you just wake up every morning just excited to go to work? And I'm just like, calm down. No. Okay? It's a good job. It's a good job. And I think a lot of you guys literally enjoy your jobs. And I enjoy my job as well. But, guys, it's work. Adam's jacked me up, too. Adam's going to jack you guys up, right? Psychologically, it's very stressful. There's things that happen. Not all the time, but some of the times very stressful. Physically, it's difficult. I think about like a few years ago, I blew a disc out in my back. Sometimes when I get out of my truck, you know, to go to an appointment, I get out of my truck, I look like a human evolution chart getting out of the truck. So I start off like this, and I'm like, just a second. You know, and I have a spear at one stage, and then I'm good. You know, it takes like a minute or two to walk upright, okay? Thanks a lot, Adam, right? And keep in mind, guys, that my job requires gloves, and one of those gloves goes to my shoulder. Wait for it. Okay. So there's two different sinful responses we can have to work. Okay? You're like, I can't get out of my, my mind. I'm sorry. Um, there's two different sinful responses we can have to work. One of them is to try and escape it. Another one is to idolize it. So we're going to look at that real quick. One of them is escape it. Because work's broken, We're tempted to try to just escape it or merely endure it. How many of you guys are in endurance mode, okay? Try to endure it. Try to escape it. Some try to escape work by not working at all, right? See that a lot with younger people, especially young men. They decide instead of kind of going out to work and dealing with the kind of the curse on work, they decide that they're going to maybe live in video games and, like, build a life for themselves there, you know, and have a feeling that they're being productive while obviously not being productive, Others try and avoid it through kind of get-rich-quick schemes or get-rich-easy schemes, you know, different things that promise that you could make a living without working. They don't exist. You know, you think about things like pyramid schemes, you're like, oh, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's, you know, I'm just trying to get as many people under me as possible, you know, and this so I can go on the top of this thing. It's a triangle, whatever, you know, like call it what you want, but it you know, but you're not really selling a product or a service that people want, but you're selling other people the hope of making money without working. Okay? I'm not saying all those things multi-level, I'm not saying all those are wrong. I'm just saying that be cautious of anything that you're engaged in that just sells people the hope of making money without working. It doesn't exist, right? The other thing we can do is idolize it. What do I mean by idolize it? It's when we look to our work for things it can't give us. Our work cannot give us ultimate security. How many of your jobs can give you ultimate security? They can't. They can't give you security. They can't give you control. They can't give you the acceptance you're looking for. They can't give you the self-worth that you feel like you need. They can't justify your existence. And we think about the first real big work project in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, in uh, chapter 11. And this is what they said before they built this thing. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower at the top, reaching to heaven. And then they say, Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're so terrified that they're going to be nobodies, that they're putting all this effort into building this thing. And we saw how that worked out. And this is not because work's broken, though it is. It's because we're broken. We're always looking for things to pour into ourselves, to put into ourselves, to somehow make us feel full. But these are things that only God can provide. And so when we look to work to provide things only God can provide... It ends in misery. And so first, God's work is a good gift from God. Secondly, it's cursed. But thirdly, it can be redeemed. I love this part, okay? It can be redeemed. Jesus can set us free from our desire to either escape work or idolize work. First, I wanna talk about the escaping work. This was super helpful to me, guys, because, you know, in your career and in your work and stuff, you go through phases and beginning, you're like super excited. We're gonna conquer the world. It's gonna be amazing. And then you realize like, I don't think I'm gonna conquer the world. This isn't amazing, you know? And then you kind of go through this rocky period where you're trying to decide like, did I make a horrible mistake and things like that. This truth was so helpful to me. We will um, not try to escape work when we see that work is how we love our neighbors as ourselves. You guys realize that Jesus said the whole law can be broken down to Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And your work is the best way, not the best way, it's your most consistent opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself. You guys realize that? Um, Your everyday labor is your most consistent opportunity to love and serve others. Because a lot of times we think of our work as just a way to support our families, maybe support the spread of the gospel by giving to ministries or for caring for the poor. But your work itself is a good work. It's something that, that, that you're doing what you were designed to do. Um, I, I was reading about Martin Luther, and he was reflecting on Psalm 145 where it says that God feeds every living thing. And he was just thinking through, like, how does God feed every living thing? Because he doesn't do it directly, right? Well, think about you. How did you receive the bread you ate or something like that? You received it through farmers, right? You received it through bakers, through truck drivers, through shop owners, through people stocking shelves, through cashiers, through countless people doing their ordinary work. Isn't that amazing? I mean, your work, guys, provides goods and services to people that can't do it for themselves. Yeah, I was thinking about it today. Like, how many things ha- do we use on a regular basis we could never make for ourselves, right? Like, I can't make my phone. I can't make my iPad. I can't make most of the food I eat. I mean, I can't make the house I live in. There's a lot of things I can't make. Now, some of it's time, we don't have the time to do it, but some of it's like, no matter how much time I had, this is not happening, okay? Like, you give me the raw materials, I'm not going to be able to make it. Guys, no one truly lives off the grid in a way that they would want to, okay? No one truly lives off the grid. You know, you run into this kind of hippie guy, it's like, oh, I'm living off the grid. I run into this with my, with my uh, vet work, you know, I go to a call and they're like, we're living off the grid, you know, they're way out in the hills, you know, I, I'm not relying on anybody else. I grow my own food. I got solar panels. I got this composting toilet. They're all excited about that. And I use that to, like, fertilize the vegetables. And I'm like, that's gross. And then, and then you ask them, like, oh, yeah, so you made the solar panels, huh? Well, no, I didn't make the solar panels. What about when they break? Well, I'll need to contact somebody. God has made us, guys, in such a way that we are interdependent on each other. And that gives us all an opportunity to express love and service to one another. Isn't that cool? Like, he didn't design us as individuals. He designed us to be a community of people relying on one another. And you might think to yourself, well, how could my work be loving service to other people if they pay for it? You ever wondered that? I wondered that about my work. My work's, you know, to have me out and do things, fairly expensive. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking, like, how is this love and service to people if they're paying for it? Let me ask you this. Do any of you guys have, like, that dentist you really trust or that plumber you really trust Or um, that mechanic that you really trust? You guys have that? We could exchange numbers here, right? If people, who do you like, you know, right? You are happy to pay those people. You think about how thankful you are to have service people that you really trust. And and that's why, guys, we exchange phone numbers of people that do good service. We do that because what we're really looking for is where is the plumber that really loves and serves people with his work? That's what we're really asking, right? Right? We're really asking, hey, do you know of somebody that would really, truly love and serve me with their work that I could trust? Be that person. When you're that person, you are truly loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever you do, do it well. And you guys might wonder, well, how do I know what vocation I have? How do I know what kind of work I should do? How do I know what God would have me to do for work? Have you guys ever wondered that? I mean, we wonder that as modern people, like, thousand years ago you're not wondering that you're not like i wonder what i'll do for a living they're like what does your dad do he's a he's a carpenter that's what you're doing it was simple (laughs) but now we have this added stress of like what am i going to do with my life right how do we know how do we know what god would have us to do well we don't do it by looking for supernatural signs we do by asking this question what is the best way i can serve others with the gifts and abilities i have that's legal okay i have to add that sometimes what is the best way I can love and serve others with the gifts and abilities that I have, right? And when you answer that question, you found a calling. That's a calling from God. You guys realize that? Before the Reformation, people used to think that just priests were called by God and everybody else just did jobs like, oh yeah, do your job, whatever. It doesn't really matter in God's plan. But after the Reformation, it was recovered the idea that we are all as believers, priests. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, you are a royal priesthood that all believers are, are priests for God, and that ordinary work is a true calling. Like, if you find that job where you're loving and serving others to the best of the abilities God's given you, that is your calling. The word vocation means calling. You know, that is a calling that you have. And, and we see that even with John the Baptist. You know, people are getting saved, they come up to John the Baptist, a tax collector comes up and goes, hey, I believe this now, I am in the gospel, what do I do? You know what he told them? Just don't take more than you're supposed to. Isn't tell him, like, tax collector, like, you got to stop doing that immediately. It's like, no, you need to just do that rightly. You need to do it well. Soldiers came up to him. Okay, and these are Roman soldiers came up to him. And they said, We're believing the gospel. What do we do now? And he gave them very clear directions. He said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. Didn't tell him to quit. He said, That's your calling. You can live as a believer there. Guys, there's no sacred, secular distinction in the New Testament. When we serve others by our work and love our neighbors, we are living out our calling before God, whether that's at home, whether that's on a family farm, whether that's in a modern workplace. Your service is the way that you love and serve um, others, and you're called by God to do that. Whether you're a pastor or a plumber, or a plumber pastor, you know? Everything we do, guys, is not just to make money, to support our families. It's not just, you know, to give to the church. It's not just to, for the poor. It's an actual act of love when we're doing it. Isn't that cool? Doesn't that help you, like, try to not try to avoid it, you know, not try and move away from it? But if I think about money and I think about, like, I'm called to love and serve others. I'm actually living out loving my neighbor as myself by doing my job well. That's a whole different thing to it, isn't it? whole different feel. And, guys, and you might be wondering, what about evangelism? Yeah, because this is a rich, relational environment, you're going to spend more time with these people than anybody else in your life. This is a place for gospel opportunities too. Um, if you're loving people at your work, you will have chances to lead people to Christ You know, as you develop that, especially if you're not constantly changing jobs. Oh my gosh, this is work. Oh my gosh, this is work too. Ah, oh, work again, you know? But as you're staying in a place and developing those relationships, and you'll have opportunities to pray for people I mean, there are people in your workplace that share burdens with you. You could pray for them. And some of those people share the same burdens all the time. They're basically complaining all the time. You know what you can do? You can start praying for them, and then they could decide whether they want to keep sharing your, their burdens with you. Right? We've done this, I've done this before at work. Um, we had this guy that was part of our college ministry. Awesome guy. His name is Lance. And um, when he would come to Bible study, he, he'd be like, hey, how's it going, Eric? I was like, oh, you know, pretty good. You know, I got a little pain here. And he would, like, do this thing called ninja prayer. Okay, so it'd be like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little bit sore. And he'd go, dear Lord, please heal Eric's shoulder. I mean, it was that kind of thing. It was like, spring it on you. And I didn't realize like you could just pray without warning people. (laughs) So we were like, Lance is coming in. Ninja prayer happening. Like if you shared. So I've actually done something like that at work. Well, I'll do like a modified ninja, which is where I'll be like, you know, they'll share something and say, hey, can I pray for you for that? And they're like, sure. And then I go, and they're like, whoa, it's happening now. Like, you could do that. You could even ease in even more than, you know, slowly with that. But guys, seriously, you have opportunities and very few, even non-believers, are going to fight with you about praying for them. That's something real practical. They know you're a believer, you know, and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? Um, You're gonna have opportunities to counsel them. I mean, people are asking advice all the time and be able to show them the wisdom of God's word is huge. You guys read through the Proverbs and you see the wisdom that's there. It's attractive, People know that it's true, and you're able to share it. You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with them, to clarify the gospel. They're going to bring things up about Christianity. You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with them. And I'm not saying to do this in some way that's going to make you less productive to your employer or steal from your employer. I mean, I have unique, uh, Tony and I were talking about this. As business owners, we have unique opportunities where, like, it's my business, so I can spend as much time as I want, you know? Um, You working for somebody else, perhaps. Maybe you don't own your own business. Um, you can do this in ways that don't affect your productivity. I mean, this is, these are relationships you're building, guys. And as you share relationships with them, you'll have chances to do it in and out of work. Um, you know what I'd really love? I was just thinking about all the people that are here and the jobs that are here. So this is some of the ones I was thinking of. In this room, we have police officers, real estate agent, nurse, loan processor, pilot. Uh, marketing person, uh, filmmaker. Well, I didn't know we were going to do that. Okay. <laughs> Respiratory therapist, school bus driver, daycare, preschool um, uh, people. We have uh, social services, we have engineers, photographers, writers, we have uh, restaurant business owners, we have people that work in restaurants, nonprofit people, event planners, graphic artists, a hospice chaplain, an internal auditor. Super scary term. <laughs> Software developer, retail, we have multiple professors, we have teachers, we have people in construction, welders, flooring. I mean, talk about outreach. Like, you think about, like, a priest of all believers, like, I was thinking about this way. We have gospel agents everywhere, okay? Like, there are fingers in this community all over, and I'm just saying, if you would work with that kind of intentionality, imagine the gospel outreach that we could have. And there's others. Barista, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a guy who delivers groceries. We've got all kinds of different. What other jobs do we have that I didn't mention? Mom. Moms. <laughs> and moms are excellent at this because imagine all the relational things that we have available with moms. You know, thinking about moms groups, mentoring other mothers. I mean, all those kind of things. Mother's Day was a couple weeks ago. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, but think about it. Um, So the solution to our temptation to work is to see that all our work, our everyday work, is our most consistent opportunity to love and serve others. What about the second one? What about the temptation to idolize it? What do I mean idolize? Well, what I mean by that is we have a tendency to look to work to give us things it can't give. It can't give security. It can't give control. It can't give the acceptance we crave. It can't give us an identity. It can't give us self-worth. I was reading this interview of uh, Madonna, This would be a good time Let's talk about Madonna. (laughs) And she said this. She said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Hard to imagine, huh? She seems so confident, right? I push past one spell of it and discover myself to be a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's all that pushes me, pushes me. Because even though I've become a somebody, I still have to prove I'm a somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Has ever felt that way about work? You know, you're only as good as your next project. (laughs) You know, you're only as good as the next thing you do. When we use work that way, guys, in a way it's never designed, we will always, it will always end up using us. You know, when we use work in a way it's not designed. I was listening to an interview just a few weeks ago of uh, Louis C.K., the comedian, and... um, he gave this really insightful um, statement about work. He said, my work is a lot more fun when it's not all important to me. Isn't that true? When it's not the center, when our work is not, um, we're not trying to get something from it that it can't give, when it's not the center of our lives, when it's not our idol, when it's not our God, when it's not our savior. And that's easier said than done though, isn't it? I mean, how can we invest so much heart into something all the time and not have it take control of our hearts? You know, how can we um, spend so much time and not become the center of our lives? What's the solution? Do you guys know what keeps planets aligned? (laughs) Awkward transition. Do you guys know what keeps planets aligned? Gravity, right? The Lord, ultimately, yes. But (laughs) the Lord does it through gravity, right? There's something at the center of the solar system that has such mass, such weight, such gravity, such importance that the planet's, Strangely enough, do these elliptical orbits we can totally count on and they stay aligned. And 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 there's there's something weighty. That's what we need in our lives. We need something so weighty that it commands the respect of every part of our lives and aligns them well. And you know guys, in the Hebrew that word for glory, kavod, means weight. It's guys the glory of God, it's his weightiness that needs to be our primary preoccupation. It's his beauty, it's his goodness, it's his worth that needs to be in the center. And if if it is in the center, and we're feeling the gravity and the worth of God in the center of our lives, all the planets of our lives, whether it's our work, our sexuality, our relationships, or um, possessions, or all these things find their alignment around him. We'll be freed from worshiping work when we see work as a way to worship Jesus. Take a look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask from the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Work was meant to not be something we worship. Work was meant to be a way that we worship Christ. What will stir up this kind of worship? Guys, the way we stir up that kind of worship is by seeing his glory. By seeing the glory of a God, this happy, creative being Who wants to share himself with us and share his work with us as his creatures. And though we sinned and rebelled against him and we abandoned the work he gave for us and we started worshiping the work of our own hands and glorifying ourselves, this same God came as a lowly laborer. Isn't that a strange response? I mean, God makes us, he tells us what to do. We say, We're not doing it, we're going to worship our own way. And what does he do? He goes, All right. I'm gonna come, and he comes as a lowly laborer, and he works in obscurity, sinlessly serving others in his frustrating labor. You guys realize, Jesus' work was frustrating too, and yet he sinfully served others as an act of love. And then he did a work we can never do for ourselves. Remember I was saying work, we, we do things people can't do for themselves? He did a work for us that we can never do for ourselves. He did a labor of carrying something for us we can never carry for ourselves. He carried the full weight of our sin up a hill, And on that hill, this carpenter God was nailed to wood. The wood he created in the beginning. He created trees. When he created trees, he knew what they were going to be used for. It was the wood he worked with in his shop. The materials of his labor became the canvas of his agony. It became his greatest work, right, on the cross for us. This great eternal gardener was buried in a garden tomb that couldn't hold him. It was raised on the third day, and he did all this, guys, to remove a burden from you to remove something you can never remove from yourself, to remove the weight of your sin. Think about the weight of your sin. The weight of your sin is not just a a psychologically difficult thing to feel. The weight of your sin is an objective reality that if it's not taken care of, will drag you all the way down to eternal misery and hell. But Jesus, right? Jesus lifted it from you. Will you let him lift it from you? I think sometimes we say things like, well, you know, I would never, you know, take credit for another man's work. This is one time when you need to, okay? Jesus lived a perfect life in your place, He died in your place, and He wants you to take credit for His work. And so if you'll trust in Him today, if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him today, you will be made righteous in God's sight. And then what's cool is He doesn't just forgive us and then give us nothing to do. Isn't that cool? He doesn't just leave us with nothing to do. He gives us the best kind of work. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is such a cool passage. This is Jesus speaking to you right now. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that he gives us nothing to do. There's plenty of work in the kingdom, Right? There's plenty of kingdom work for you to do at work tomorrow. But you no longer do work with that extra layer of work of trying to somehow create your own security and acceptance and uh, self-worth and identity. That part of work falls away. Guys, since we have all these things in Christ, things other people are trying to squeeze their work for, we're free to work in loving service to others and in loving worship to God. Isn't that awesome? Because we already have the things that a lot of people are laboring for. We don't have to seek those in our work. How do we keep our hearts there? Uh, This part, I I didn't know if there was time, but I thought was super important. How do we keep our hearts there? One of the ways we keep our hearts there is through practicing Sabbath. You think like, when's the last time I heard that? I don't know. We don't do it, guys. We're like constantly going, constantly going. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is stopping work to worship. Even when we have days off, a lot of times we're still working in our minds and things like that. Eugene Peterson said, Sabbath is the time set aside to do nothing so we can receive everything. When we take a day of rest, whatever day that is, when we take a day of rest for worship, we're making a bold statement. We're saying work is not my security. Work is not my self-worth. Work is not the way that I get the approval my heart craves for. Work does not define who I am. You know, you're simply being before God. You know, you're simply resting in the fact that he has accomplished everything you need. Isn't that awesome? We should do that more often, shouldn't we? To rest. And it's not perfect here, the true Sabbath is coming, but what's really cool is that that true Sabbath is coming will not be a place without work. Do you guys realize that? A lot of times, I know your view of heaven may be that you're sitting on a white puffy cloud, light blue background, and you're like still taking harp lessons, you know, trying to figure this thing out, bored out of your minds. Okay, But the, the the true Sabbath that's coming is better. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And we're going to be able to work there in a way that's not burdened by the, the external hassle of work being broken or the internal hassle of us trying to make something of it it shouldn't be. Work will be restored. So the story of work is really cool. It starts in a garden, right? It gets redeemed through a garden tomb, and it's restored in a garden city. Take a look at Revelation 22. This is so cool. Right near the end here. Revelation 22.1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river there were the trees of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and there will be no need for a lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a picture of a garden city. It's a a renewed, restored earth with a city in it, and in the center of the city is God. And there's a work that's there. Take a look at Revelation 22, since you're so close. Revelation, sorry, 21, 24. Revelation 21, 24 says, By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day or by night. And they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. A lot of commentators believe that what's going on there is that people are bringing in the best of human culture that's been redeemed. Isn't that great? The glory of the the nations is, is the best of human culture being redeemed? Guys, it's going to be a city where we enjoy all the best of human culture, ridded from sin and made new. And our deepest aspirations for our work will be there. Think about law enforcement. What's the deepest aspiration? Security. These gates don't get locked. You know, this is a place of deep security. You think of people in the medical field. You know, that disease would and wholeness would come. It will come. You know, you think about people that are in city planning or something like that, or people that take care of children, or all these different things are fully realized in that place. It won't be a future without work where we're chilling on clouds with harps bored out of our minds. It'll be a place of fruitful, meaningful labor. We'll enjoy the work of our hands. Um, Isaiah 65, 21 says this about the world to come. They shall build homes and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit, and they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen ones shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Isn't that cool? And this new meaningful labor, guys, is in a city where God is in the center, both literally and in our hearts. In the center of the city is the throne of God and we can enjoy his presence, which is ultimately what heaven's about. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about God himself being there and he'll be in the center. He'll be in the center physically and he'll be in the center of everything we do. Together we'll grow this wonderful human culture that perfectly reflects our savior. We'll love and serve each other without all the baggage that we have now and we'll love and worship God and it'll be as natural as breathing. And I would just ask you guys, join us. You can come. You know, Jesus has done the full work for you to have this. If you would just turn from your sin and trust in him, this is your future. This morning, if you don't know him, I just want to ask you, and it may be a unique way, to receive the loving work of Jesus. Receive the loving cross work of Jesus, this, this rough-handed, blue-collar Savior that was pierced for you. You ever think of him that way? You ever think of him as a real man? It's a real man, God and man, real man, dying on a cross, pierced, take away your sin, raised in glory, coming to make things new. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about the vision that you have in these last chapters of revelation, of a new world, things made new. All the stuff our hearts long for. And yet, Lord, the thing we really need, and the thing I believe you've given Most of the people in this room is a heart for you. You yourself are the one our hearts have been looking for. Help us, Lord, to turn away from all the silly substitutes and the placebos and all the other things that we've tried to find joy in. Help us to just cast those aside and say, I want Jesus, I want this God. Love me so much to die for my sins. Father, we thank you for having a, a spot in our day, a spot in our week where we come together and just all together reflect on you, worship you, remember the sufferings of your son. We just thank you for this moment, this time. And we thank you too, Lord, that you provide rest. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have the right kind of work and the right kind of rest. We are a people because we have not embraced your your view of work and life and our hearts, that we are restless. We so badly need a Sabbath. We so badly need to rest in you. I pray, Lord, that we would all leave here trusting in your son and restful in our hearts. Father, uh, prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for what we have this week, whether it's at home or in the workplace or wherever it is. Help us to love people and serve them with a new view to worship your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cuffgraceorg slash menifee.